Amen. We're going to go to the word of the Lord. I'm in Psalm 142. I invite you to join me there if you would as we open up God's word and our hearts to his word. Amen. Psalm 142, the inscription reads, a masculine of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path, and the way wherein I walked have, I privately laid, have they privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, no man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. With the help of the Lord in our first half, I'm going to preach from this title, I almost fainted, but now I am abundantly flourishing. Hallelujah. Let's pray together in Jesus' name. Father, you are the living word. I ask now that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, speaking both your logos and your rima to your church, Lord. Open our understanding that we might comprehend the Scripture. Cause every hindrance to be rebuked and cast out. And bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And Lord, we pray this and ask this and expect this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord bless you. Psalm 142 is a masculine psalm. Masculine is a Hebrew word meaning wisdom. So it's a wisdom psalm. Uh, it is obviously written by David, a psalm of David. He also wrote other masculine psalms, Psalm 32 and 52 through 55. The sons of Korah wrote Psalm 42 and 44. An unknown psalmist wrote 43. 74 and 78 were written by Asaph. 88 was written by Heman. And 89 was Ethan. And those are the masculine psalms in the entirety of the book of Psalms. These wisdom psalms speak just what it sounds like, wisdom. So how many want some wisdom today? Does anybody need some wisdom to help guide your life? Anybody online today, amen, put a thumbs up or a like or a heart symbol that, hey, I need some wisdom from God. Well, a masculine psalm is just that. It's going to give you some wisdom. And the inscription also, as you've learned throughout the psalm's journey with me, anytime there's an inscription, First of all, the Jews believe that's as much a part of the inspired word as the verses themselves. Secondly, it gives us clues about when the psalm took place. And in this one, he's in a cave. Now, ironically then, this places this psalm with Psalm 7, 34, 52, 54, 56, 57, and 59, which are psalms when David is fleeing from Saul, afraid for his life. In at least a couple of these other psalms, he's also in a cave. And in 1 Samuel 22, it might be the cave of Abdullam, where he might have been. Or in 1 Samuel 24, the cave of Jedi. Or it could have been another cave that's not listed in Scripture, because 
David knew the terrain of Judah very well. So regardless of what cave it was, it's obvious David was in danger, overwhelmed, but would eventually realize that God was his only hope. You see, David, at the time this happened, did not know all that his enemies were plotting against him. But he did know that God had a promise upon him. You see, David had been anointed to be the king. And if there's anything I've learned about the life of David teaching and preaching through these psalms is that he had a relationship with God. And he trusted the word of the Lord. And so when Samuel came to his home and anointed him, he knew one way or another he would sit on that throne as the king. And so even though he's overwhelmed, even though he's distressed, even though he is uh, in this sense of emotional turmoil, he knows God's promise will come true. Oh, I wish somebody would already begin to feel something well up in your spirit that it doesn't matter what the enemy has said or done. God's promises are yes and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So what did David do? Well, he first, he cried. He, he was overwhelmed. Verses 1 through 3. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. Supplication is that sense of begging. It's, it, and, and I know you think, well, I thought we weren't supposed to beg God. But it, it's that sense of intense. You've got to have an answer from God. And if it takes begging, you're willing to beg. That's, that's what supplication just simply means without going into great, great detail. Verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. Now there's a positive in this in that he, he told it to God. That's the best place we can take our problems. It doesn't mean we can't talk to each other. Amen. But sometimes we've got to be careful what we're putting out uh, uh, for the world. Amen. In other words, uh, trusting in him. Amen. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privately laid a snare for me. So amid all of the plotting of his enemy, David experienced such an overwhelming feeling that he nearly fainted. That's what overwhelmed means. He almost fainted. He was emotionally drained and he might have given up but something happens and I want to look at verse 3 again notice when my spirit was overwhelmed with me in other words when I had almost fainted then thou thou is God then thou knewest my path you see he's writing in the past tense he's writing this after the experience has happened, he's giving us clues about what happened. He is reliving it in his mind and heart. But he's also knowing that in that moment, Pastor Lucas, when he almost gave up, when he almost threw in the towel and said it's over, something happened and he realized, wait a minute, God knows right where I am. God knows right what's going on. 
then thou knewest my path. Oh, hallelujah. Can I tell you, God also knew exactly where the snares were that had been privately laid for him. He was able to navigate David's life around the problem, around the snares to avoid it so that he could be the king one day. Can I tell you, God knows right where the enemy has put a snare. He knows right where the enemy has put a blockade and he's able to lead you around it. You might think you're just kind of moving around aimlessly, but God has a plan. God has direction in your life. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He guided David safely through. That's why I love what Isaiah said. When he said, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. I'm glad to know that even though the enemy is going to amass weapons against me, even though he's going to fire them, none of them are going to succeed. Mm-hmm. David knew he didn't have the complete picture of why Saul pursued him unjustly. But he also knew the one who knew all things. David didn't understand Saul's plot to kill him. But he would come to understand God's plan to bless him. As I pointed out, as you read through, especially these first three verses, the past tense of the grammar indicates David is writing this after the fact, not during. It's possibly why it's so late in the book of Psalms, because the others are early in the Psalms, and some of them are written in the present tense, indicating he's still in the issue. Does that make sense? So this is almost like God is saying, hey, you're, you're near the end of your life. I want you to recap that. Remember that time you were in the cave? Remember that time I protected you? Have you ever, has everybody ever just had a moment where all of a sudden God reminds you of something, it quickens to your spirit, and you're like, you know, that's right, he, he brought me out, uh, you know, 2004, I remember I was there, and in 2012, I remember that moment, and, and, and he kind of takes you back, oh, come on, I believe something like that happened with David, and he's like, okay, Lord, thank you, because again, look, 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 he says, I cried, that's past tense, I, I poured, that's past tense, verse 2, I was overwhelmed, that's past tense, what he's saying is, I've lived it, I've experienced it, and now I can thank God because he brought me out of it. Can I tell you, sometimes it's good every once in a while just to pause and look back and see where he's brought you from. Every once in a while it's good to look back and say, you know what, he's brought me a mighty long way. I know I still got a long way to go, but he's brought me through. He's brought me out in this current situation. He can do it again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David. Although he writes this after the fact, don't kid yourself. This trial was grueling and disturbing. David felt covered entirely, shrouded entirely, and trapped by Saul's hatred and pursuit of him. In fact, so much so, he believed there was no way out. And this was where he would die. When it was in the present tense, he believed this was it. For a moment, he thought, well, okay, maybe Samuel got this one wrong. For a brief moment, he wondered, how can God bring me out of this? Who can I trust? 
So what God did, if you, if you, if you follow the account in 1 Samuel 22, 23, 24, you'll find that a, a little known prophet called Gad is sent to David with a word. He's in a cave. I love it. He just he comes to him and says, um, go back to Judah. And that's, that's the MTP condensed version, okay? That's, that's the message Bible version, if you will. It, basically, you're just saying, Sister Jackie, you don't belong here. Get out of this cave. Go back to Judah. God's got a plan for your life. But because, watch this, because God saw fit. you you got to catch this for a minute, okay? David is in his cave. Sister Jackie, he feels all alone. He feels like nobody knows. Nobody cares. I, I haven't even told the pastor what I'm going through. I'm, I'm keeping my game face on. Nobody knows. And all of a sudden, God goes over here and speaks to a prophet and says, Hey, I have somebody over there that, that thinks they're going through. I need you to come give them a word for me. Come here. And, 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 and just come over here and speak a word into their life and tell them that they don't belong here. I've got a plan for them. And the prophet speaks the word. Gad didn't write a book. There's not a book of Gad. There's a book of First and Second Samuel. There's not a book of Gad. There's Amos. There's Obadiah. There's, there's Jeremiah. There's all these other prophets. There's no book of Gad. Very little is known about him. He was probably from the tribe of Gad. Go figure. But, but David realized, wait a minute. Thank you. Wait a minute. God saw fit to bring a prophet my way. I may not know how it's going to turn out, but God already does. I may have not told my pastor what I'm going through, but God knows what I'm going through. I may not know how I'm coming out of this, but God knows. I don't know when I'm coming out, but God knows when I'm coming out of this. Woo! I almost fainted, but now I am abundantly flourishing. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I know it's first half, but that don't take away from the fact that the Holy Ghost can still minister. Hallelujah. David realized God had everything under control. Can I tell you that you need to realize that if God has used a preacher to speak something or a song you've heard or somebody to pray for you that doesn't know a blessed thing about what you're going through, that ought to be enough to let you know that the master who sees all, who knows all 8 billion people on the planet presently knows your situation. If he sees every hair that falls out of your head, if he's making sure sparrows are fed, you're a lot more valuable than a bunch of birds. You're a lot more valuable than a bunch your hair falling out. God knows your situation and He loves and He cares. Hallelujah. Praise God. He realized that God was sovereign over His situation. But just before He realizes this, I want you to look at verse 4. I looked on my right hand and behold, there was no man that would know me. No one would acknowledge me. I looked for help, and nobody helped. That's what it's meaning. I reached around, 
Can anybody help me? Can anybody pray for me? And it seemed like nobody. In fact, refuge failed me. I reached for it, but I just kept sinking in this emotional mire that I was in. I hollered out for help, but nobody seemed to come. I want you to know this was a real situation. So intense was the trauma. So intense was the abandonment of family and friends that David believed no one cared. No one cared for my soul. I want you to look at that last part of that verse. No man cared for my soul. In other psalms, David expresses the physical trauma from his painful experiences. But in this psalm, the pain is deep beneath the surface to the soul. It's that innermost being that nobody... If I walked in with a sling, you can see something has happened to my arm. Hey, Bishop, what happened? Well, I you know, was bowling and... you know. Broke my arm, you know, whatever, right? It's visible. But if I walk in and something is burning my heart, unless God gives you insight, you're not going to be able to see inside. And that's what David was saying. No one cared for my soul. Wow. Mm. In Psalm 69, verse 20, David said something similar. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. And yet, despite this innermost struggle, something is about to shift. There's a ray of hope that's about to penetrate and dissipate the darkness that shrouds David's life in that cave. David uh, may have successfully hidden from Saul and all of his henchmen, but God knows the exact uh, longitude and latitude that David is. He knows the very rock that he's laying next to. He knows the very cave he's in, and he sends a prophet with a message. And that word from God flipped the switch on for David. There's another Old Testament example of one who experienced this kind of, I'll just call it depression, this, this anguish, this emotional turmoil. And listen to his account in Job 23. He said, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. Backward. I can't perceive him. That one's speaking in tongues. This one's shouting. That one's praying, but I can't feel anything. On the left hand where he works, but I can't behold him. It's, it's like a fog. He hides himself on the right hand. I can't see him. And if the song, or, or, excuse me, if Job ended right there, it would be horrible. But there's a colon. Because Job then says, but he knoweth the way that I take. I can't feel him. I can't perceive him. I don't know all where he is and what he's doing, but he knows where I am. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, 
Put up verse 4 of Psalm 142 one more time, especially that last part. Refuge filled me, no man cared for my soul. Refuge filled me, no man. I want you to get that in your system. Ready? Refuge filled me, no man cared for my soul. You got it? All right, watch this. Verse 5. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, here it is, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Maybe my brother or sister in church didn't understand what I was going through. Maybe they didn't offer me any prayer and refuge, but I'm not quitting church. I'm not going to backslide because you are my refuge. You are my portion. Something happened when God walked into that cave and said, I've got a word from the Lord. And when he walked in, God walked in and fear walked out. Although no man cared for his soul, God did. Oh yes, David still expresses the depth of despair. He says, attended to my cry, I'm brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, they're stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thee. Or thy name, excuse me. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Even though he still expresses the despair he's in, there's been a shift. You see, he feels like he's in a prison. His cave is a prison. But whereas that pain shrouds him and darkness shrouds him in verse 3, he now prophesies in verse 7 that God's going to surround him, come pass him about. <laughs> Therefore, he could say, I almost fainted. But now I am abundantly flourishing. He recognizes that even though his persecutors are stronger than he is, they ain't stronger than God. Uh, they might win in a fight with him, but they're going to lose in a fight with God. You see, David struggled with the despair of his circumstance, but now he rejoices with God's deliverance. He doesn't know how, he doesn't know when, but he knows God will. I know life can sometimes get us to the point that we almost faint. I've come to this pulpit today to, to encourage, excuse me, and to declare to you to look up and lift up your heads. You don't have to wait until the coming of the Lord, Luke 21, 28. You can lift up your heads and look up now for your redemption draws nigh. I know that's prophesying the coming of the Lord. I know that's in that moment, but you can do it now. Amen. You can look above and beyond the struggle that you're in and see your Savior reigning over your situation. You see, the enemy wants you to faint, but God wants you to flourish. <laughs> see, here's what I think happened. This is, this is uh, the MTP commentary. Here we go. So if, if you have a Bible that, you know, at the bottom it has the MTP commentary on this verse, this is, this is my commentary. This is what I think happened, Sister Courtney. I, I, I think that after Gad delivered the word, all right, I'll see you, man, and he leaves, I think David started going back 
There's an old song. Lord, take me back to that old landmark. I, I think David started going back in his mind and realized, you know, um, I remember walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But I remember he was there every step of the way. I remember his rod and his staff comforting me. I remember that even though I seemed as if I was lost, he was guiding me. And every time I turned back, goodness and mercy were following me all the days of my life. I, I, I believe David began to recall that although trouble don't last always, God's mercy does. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. I believe David began to look back and say, you've crowned me with loving kindness and tender mercies. I believe David had a word from God. And it was all he needed to experience a shift from fainting to flourishing. You see, David had what I like to call prescripture. If you go to your doctor and you have a surgery, he might prescribe a pill, pain pill of some sort. Prescription, right? Well, I like a prescription. Because you know what? I've looked into this and it's encouraged me when I've seen the lives of David and Job and Ruth and others, Joseph, so on and so forth. See, th this, my friends, is the antidote to emotional healing. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, um, I, I do have to tell you, though, um, <clears throat> full disclosure, there are side effects. Um, you will experience peace that passes understanding. Um, you'll also experience uh, joy that is full um, and cannot be taken from you. Um, You'll also experience unconditional love. That, that's a big one, so be careful on that. Um, there, there's some side effects, aren't there, Jackie? There, there, there's some side effects to, to trusting in the Word of God. <laughs> Amen. You, you might just suddenly experience a little bit of faith instead of a lot of fear. <laughs> you might begin to realize, you know what? Uh, God has had a plan all along. <laughs> well... Thank you, Jesus. And I believe that uh, David began to experience a shift, and you can too, because the Bible tells us that God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Mm. Others may fail you. Others may let you down, but uh, God never will. Amen. So if you're alone today or you feel alone today, I want you to remember that God will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to remember today that if you feel like your enemies are stronger than you, I want you to remember that greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've been showing you this for the last couple of months. Goodness and mercy going, or excuse me, uh, grace and truth going before you. Goodness and mercy coming after you. God's hand on your life. Come on, see it. Get it in your mind and realize there's nowhere you're going to go that God doesn't go with you. The devil wants you to faint. 
But God wants you to flourish. And by the way, God's got you covered. Mm. Goes before you, goes behind you. So don't be afraid to pour your heart out to Jesus when you're overwhelmed. Because he is your refuge and portion. And he will abundantly pardon. Now, in David's case, and I'm not saying this to pick on him. He didn't have the Holy Ghost, so we'll give him a pass. But he said, the Lord deliver me from prison so I can praise you. Okay? Again, let's give him a pass. He didn't have the Holy Ghost like you and I do. So instead, let's look to somebody who did have the Holy Ghost. And at midnight, you all know where I'm going? Acts 16, 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, full of the Holy Ghost, by the way. They didn't wait to get delivered before they started praying. Oh, come on, somebody. I know you feel like you're in a prison. and Who knows? Maybe some are in a literal one. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe you're listening to this or watching this, and you are in prison, if, if that's possible. But, but let me tell you, whether it's an emotional one or a literal one, you can praise in your prison. But I want you to notice something about this verse. As they prayed and sang praises to God, watch that last line say. The prisoners. Other people started hearing them. Can I tell you that if you'll start praising in your prison, there's some other people that are also in their prison that are going to hear you and they're going to be delivered as well. Oh! Because when Jesus rocked that jailhouse and put, brought it down, he didn't just deliver Paul and Silas. Now, there's other times that happened. The angel came into a prison and delivered Peter, but nobody else. But in this case, not only were Paul and Silas delivered, but other prisoners as well. Not only that did that happen, but the jailer and his household were born again that night. Why? Because somebody praised in a prison. Hallelujah. So I've come to tell you, you can praise God in and through your situation. Did you know that midnight in the Greek here means their darkest moment? In their darkest moment. It begs the question, what were they doing before that? Were they complaining? I don't know. I don't want to try to make the text say something it doesn't. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they got thrown in at 11.59 and at midnight they started. I don't know. But I know at midnight, at their darkest moment, regardless what they had done before, something clicked. I don't know how it happened. I can only surmise. Brother AJ, did they look at one another? Across the, the house where they, where they chained together. I don't know. But something happened. And I believe all of a sudden, simultaneously, they begin to say, Oh Lord, you are great God. Jesus, you're wonderful. They prayed and suddenly begin to sing praises. I don't know what they sang. Obviously it wasn't a song we know. I'd love to know that song though. I can't wait to get to eternity and go find Paul and Silas and say, What was that song anyway? Was it upbeat? Was it slow? You know, was you singing on tune? Can you sing, Paul? <laughs> None of that mattered. Oh, by the way, they didn't have an organ or keyboard or drums or guitar or microphones or worship leader or backup singers. I'm not against any of that. 
I'm not preaching against it, so don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is, whether they could sing on tune or not, something welled up. Mm, Jesus. Mm, hallelujah. I want to tell you today, don't give up. Because you're about to reap God's blessing. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. There's a lot of people weary in this church. I partly speak that because I know it. I partly speak it because God's been burdening me. It's not ironic that we're falling on these psalms at this time. Don't be weary in well-doing. Why? For in due season we shall reap if we keep coming to church and paying our tithes. I'm sure that's great, and we need to. Please keep doing it. Don't, don't stop coming and don't stop giving. But if we don't give up, if we don't faint. You see, let's just imagine that from where I'm standing to where Kennedy is, that's my destiny. Let's just imagine that, that Kennedy is my harvest, my reaping. Can everybody get that in your mind? Ready? I know you may not be able to see it completely online, but he's maybe 15 feet in front of me here. Okay? Ready? Here's what we're doing. The closer we get, I've taken a couple steps, and I'm getting a little bit closer to my destiny. And the devil is wanting us to give up just before we reach that point. Reach your hand out, would you, Kennedy? Amen. Just before I connect with my harvest, the enemies want me to give up just before I'm there. Can I tell somebody, don't be weary in well-doing for in due season. You see, God's already got the moment recorded. Maybe it's today. Maybe it is August 7th for you. I don't know. But whatever that is, Sister Kim, he's already got your due season recorded. And if you stop short, you're going to miss what's already been planned. So don't give up. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Just like Gad had a word from God for David, I've got a word from heaven for this church today. Don't give up. Stand up and prophetically declare, I almost fainted, but now I am abundantly flourishing. By the way, when David said this, if you look at the other Psalms and you look at the history surrounding it, when he first made the declaration, Nothing initially happened. In fact, as he obeyed the word from Gad, he went out of that cave and immediately was found out by Saul at a city called Keilah. In other words, it went from bad to worse. God, I left a cave where I was protected, and now I'm surrounded in this city. But there's not one mention of David being upset frustrated or blaming God. Instead, he grabs the ephod from the priest and begins to pray and says, give me a word, Lord, what do I do? And God delivered him from the hand of Saul there. 
and it kept on going. Something had happened. Something had transitioned. In other words, I've come to tell you today, don't give up. Declare, I'm already abundantly flourishing even if it hasn't happened yet. Even if you don't have a single goosebump flowing up and down your arm yet, start declaring it. Start believing it. Jesus said these words in John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Everybody say, in him we have peace. But in the world, what are you going to have? Tribulation. Oh, but by the way, be of good share. I've already overcome the world. That hasn't happened yet. That's a prophetic statement of when he returns and sets up his theocratic rule and reign as supreme sovereign. But he's already declared it, and because it's in his word, and because he said it, and he can't lie, it will happen. You need to start declaring, I am abundantly flourishing even before it happens. Hallelujah. I know your prayer request hasn't been answered yet. But ready for this? You've prayed for it. Now start preparing for it. I'm going to say that again. You've prayed for it. Now start preparing for it. If you're believing God now for what He has for you next, then your next starts now. You see, faith receives the promise before it manifests. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Watch this. The evidence of things. I can't see it yet. (laughs) But I've got faith that my miracle is here. Am I making sense to somebody? I almost fainted. But now, I am abundantly. I wish somebody would just stand to your feet right now and just say that. I'm abundantly flourishing in Jesus' name. I ain't giving up. I ain't turning back. I'm not going to faint in this situation. By the help and grace of God, I am abundantly flourishing. I know there's no goosebumps yet. I know you may not be speaking in tongues yet, but just hold on, sister. Hold on, brother. As you declare it, as you believe it, as you speak it, so shall it be. Because just as we know faith comes by hearing, we also know that faith is released by speaking. Start releasing faith into your spirit. Start releasing faith into the atmosphere. Start releasing faith for the other prisoners that might be in a jail cell next to you. I am abundantly flourishing.